So for the last 20 years or so, most research has indicated that one of the characteristics common to churches that are growing is the fact that they have small groups. They're sometimes called life groups, life communities, cells, all kinds of different uh, monikers go to them. But a characteristic of churches that seem to be reaching their community, growing and exhibiting the signs of church health, often as that sometime during the week they get together in smaller family-sized groups. So that's going to be our topic today on Life Talks. My name is Dan. I'm with Ben. We're two of the teaching pastors at Life Fellowship outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Ben, this is an area that uh, you have a lot of experience in. You've you've seen it, uh, uh, you know, in in church plants. You've seen it yeah. in established churches. You've seen it around the world. Yeah, and, and this we're building off of this theme of why do we do that? Mm-hmm. You know, one of these things we've been, a lot of the things that we normally do at church, and sometimes it's good to ask ourselves, there are things that are normal that we see that we just have to understand, well, why, why do we do that? So yes, yeah, small groups are, they're, they're a vital part of the the church landscape today. And uh, for good reason, I believe that there's a biblical model for them. Um, but but I think for a lot of people, they, they, they almost look at it as, that's an extra thing. Like mm-hmm. as long as I get to Sunday morning and hear a sermon and and uh, you know, go to the Sunday morning service. Like that's if I do that, I've checked church off. You know, ch- check the box of church mm-hmm. off the list. And what what we're finding is that most people that have that that are involved in a a life group or a small group or whatever you want to call them, a smaller group of of ga- of, of Christians. Th- there's there's those people that meet in small groups have a much stronger walk with God than people who just show up on Sunday mornings. By all the metrics, whether it's Bible reading, prayer time, um, other spiritual disciplines, they people that have committed to a life life group at some some level are sh- are shown that there there's a deeper level of commitment in their in their spiritual walk with Christ. So that's why these kinds of things are important. Yeah, I. <clears throat> You, you know, it's kind of morphed in recent years, and part of that has been because of the way we attend churches morphed. Yeah. It used to be Sunday morning, Sunday night. But there was the element that we practiced, that you and I both, in, in our formative years, which was attending Sunday school. Yeah, Sunday school kind of morphed into something. Like, it morphed into small groups. Well, and a lot of churches went to double services, and double services and, and uh, small group Sunday school, traditional type tend to conflict with each other because you've got people that were in the choir and people that were teaching, you know, and so uh, a lot of times as churches moved away from the one big large group to, uh, you know, multiple services on a Sunday morning, then Sunday schools kind of went the way. Uh, But also there's an intimacy, I think, that comes with meeting in homes that is desirable to some people. Yeah, I think that there is something, Sunday schools, and we'll talk a little bit about Sunday school in another episode, but Sunday school, I, I think most people that are my age, your age, and older would say that's their primary primary experience growing up was that that classroom setting. Mm-hmm. That that that's where they got the those more intimate relationships. You know, they had. Uh, remember the church you and I were both on staff with. They called the homemakers group, and it yeah. was like all the older people. But they that class started when they were you know, like 20 somethings yeah. <laughs> and they'd been they together age for, again. they age yeah. again. So they still call them the homemakers, but they're all retired older people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, but that was, that's what happened in a lot of these traditional churches is these, these educational groups form, they would either form around a, a certain age demographic or they would form around a dynamic teacher, right? Like mm-hmm. some, some churches. teacher. Elmer um, Towns used to the, emphasize that. Yeah. There'd be a master teacher and they would get a lot of people in their, in their room uh, and so, and so that was that was how churches did education and community uh, at some level. And then 
the cell group or the home group really took off. I would say uh, in the 90s with the, with the advent of the attractional church, the mm-hmm, mega church, mm-hmm. um, they were looking for that, okay, how do people connect in a smaller way? And in, in, in home groups made the most sense. And so uh, we saw a, a massive shift over the last three decades. So that, that now is the norm. Most churches now, when you walk into a church, very few churches do Sunday school. Most churches do some level of small groups, and so it's kind of morphed over the last 30 years. With the rise of the megachurch, we almost developed a regional mentality. People Hmm. would jump on the interstate on a Sunday morning, maybe drive 30, 35 minutes to get to. This megachurch had a big Sunday morning program, beautiful facilities, stuff for kids to do. Um, But during the week, when you wanted community, you didn't want to drive 35 minutes. That's right. During the week, it's because it's going to take you an hour and 35 minutes. And, um, and, And so you were looking for people in your neighborhood. That's in, right. in your development, in your yeah. sometimes in the larger metropolitan areas, even your own town. Yes. Um, and so those became the way that they developed this sense of community. Um, what is there a biblical precedent for small groups? Well, I think there is. I mean, you can see small groups in the Old Testament and New Testament. I mean, obviously the most the most prominent and the most uh, clear picture of a small group would be Jesus and his and his twelve disciples. I mean, they were the ones that they were his his small group in a, in a way. And most small groups would, would, would say, you know, you need to between, be between about five and, and uh, about 20 people. That's about a good size for a small group. Um, and, and, and those kinds of, there's a lot of different dem, uh, dynamics depending on the size of the group. But, you know, but anywhere between five and 20 is usually a norm. But Jesus had 12, and he even had a little, even closer group, an inner circle of, of Peter, James, and John. But but he this that group was the ones that he took aside he taught them he discipled them he sent them out to do to to multiply his work and so you see that not just uh groups of people you know gathering with Jesus we see that in the second generation of Christians as well you see Paul and Barnabas and they took John Mark there was always a sense of you're not doing this on your own you're doing this with other people and so uh, we even see in the in the first century church uh, churches meeting in homes. That's very clear in in scriptures. In fact, I would say that the, if a typical church gathering in the first three centuries of the church looked like a meeting in someone's living room, that was church, mm-hmm. right? You had these little home churches all around that that averaged probably between thirty and fifty people, and uh, and so it wasn't until probably late late three hundreds early. 400s AD, where building church buildings, the advent of Constantine, the 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 institutional church starts coming on the scene, and all of a sudden, buildings become the norm, and and that home group was started to not not be the norm. And uh, but it's even interesting because because two very ancient church fathers, Ambrose and um, Augustine. Reference themselves attending clergy small groups or or pastoral small groups by which they grew spiritually. Like that's how they kept accountable with one another. And so, there is a biblical model of Jesus, and we see that always in in the early days of these smaller gatherings. Um, but there was also larger gatherings. We see in in scripture when they would all meet at Solomon's portico, which would have fit you know thousands of people. So. There are times where there is large gatherings, but for the most part, the small group was the norm for most churches. Yeah, you brought up the issue of house churches, and and I could you explain to the listener what is the difference between a house church and a small group? Mm. So I think the difference would be 
that the small group sees itself as a part of a larger church body, right? And it and it is not necessarily um, in charge of or leading every single decision of the church. It is it's it's its focus is very narrow. It might have a uh, a missional focus. It might have an educational focus. It might have a uh, just a fellowship community focus. But its its focus is much more. Near. It's 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 to fulfill a a small role in your overall church experience. Mm-hmm. A home church is this is you know we're the leaders. We're the pastors. This is where you get everything is in this home group, and so that's the that's the biggest difference between between the two of them. Yeah, and and I think it's important to note, you know, sometimes people move in this direction because they become disenfranchised or or disgusted in some cases. Oh, it's very jaded with with, yes. with the with the traditional model of a church yeah. in a larger community. And so they're started out of a reaction rather than out of an intention. Yeah. And I, I caution against those. There have been a couple of church movements where the idea was that we will always be a church of, of cells. Yeah. They call it cell church. Uh, for the most part, they grow and then they disappear, uh, it yeah. seems. It's what I found interesting is that most people that, again, the jaded, the I don't like the, you know, mega church or mick church, whatever you want to call it. You know, they, they, they've they experienced the uh, church, church via corporation, and it just feels like, man, this is not what Jesus wanted. And so what they tend to do is they, it's a, it's a, it's a reaction. And in their reaction, what the problem with, the biggest problem with people that lead with house churches or do it that way is that the reasoning for it is ecclesiological and it's not missional. Mm. And what I mean by that is the main reason why they're starting a house church is we want to do church in a more pure fashion. And when that is when 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 you're leading with ecclesiology with how we're doing church as opposed to we're lead, we're doing this as a sense of reaching our friends and neighbors and, and spreading the gospel, what I've seen is most cell house cell church movements that have actually done something have always been missional focused. They've not been ecclesiological focused. And I think that's the the difference I've always seen. Most house churches, you know, people are like, this church stinks. We're going to start our own thing. And they go in the home and, you know, after about, whether it's three months or three years, it just kind of peters out because... Yeah. Or there's conflict that arises even in a small group. People exactly. that are bent toward, toward conflict do not require a certain crowd size <laughs> in order to kind of blow things up. Yeah. Well, one, one of the things that I, I think is important to note also is that, you know, this is one of the ways in which the body of Christ can celebrate its own diversity. Hmm. Um, you know, in major metropolitan areas, I, I see both large gatherings and small mm-hmm. house church settings. But in some countries, you're not allowed to meet in larger groups. You know, in Cuba, mm-hmm. in um, uh, India, in um, China, uh, in Myanmar, these are countries that are in some level oppressed and closed. Yeah, they don't have a choice. They don't have a choice. So they yeah. meet in homes and the Lord's blessing those and they're Absolutely. growing. I, I think one of the dangers that sometimes uh, we can develop is thinking that our way of doing church is either the preferred <laughs> way by God's ordination or yes. uh, the only way that you should be doing church. And I, yeah. I think that's a dangerous thing. What would you, what would you say to somebody uh, who's part of a church, but they feel disconnected from the church? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, I whenever anyone says, I don't feel like I know anyone or I feel disconnected, t- to me, the first thing I ask them is, are you part of a small group? Mm-hmm. And if they're not, I mean, 
that's one of the biggest issues that I would say, or, or it's like, well, I can't, I can't find one that fits me. Well, have you gone to any men's, men's ministry meetings? Mm -hmm. Have you gone to any women's ministry, you know, women's Bible studies, whatever it is. Uh, or have you volunteered for, are you a part of a ministry team? Like what I find is that most people that are connected via small group, Bible studies, uh, ministry teams, they've got friends. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there, you can't help it because when you're serving with other people and when you're meeting weekly with other people or, you know, two different groups, you're going to feel connected, loved, embraced. And that's, that's the biggest thing. So I, I, I really push towards people that say, well, I don't feel like I know anyone. The biggest thing I would say is you've got to get involved. You have to make that choice to say, you know, let's find a group. And if you can't find a group, start a group. I mean, that, Call call Pastor Brad and 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 schedule a meeting with him. And say I'm interested in starting a group for you know these kinds of people that are in our life station and or in my area, whatever it might be. And you know, so, so, but but if you're not meeting regularly outside of the Sunday morning experience, you're never going to do that. Like you know, for example, um, last night I went to uh, Bill Lord's life group right Tuesday night, and you know we were there for I think two and a half hours. Okay, now you take two and a half hours with the the family the couples that were there we had a great time and 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 I've gone to so many life communities already so far and they've been every experience every single one is is amazing it's been so great for us to get to know people in our church but you think about that time whether it's you know two hours or two and a half hours or an hour and a half whatever however long our time is with with these small groups you think about most conversations I have in the lobby on a Sunday morning with people might be a few minutes hmm. to spend two hours with people. I mean, it's that's like spending an entire year's worth of conversation in a lobby at church. And that's just one week. So when you're talking about having relationships, building deeper friendships with people, you can't do it apart from small groups, yeah. you know? I, I say this in our new members class, uh, which we call Life Quest at Life Fellowship, um, that the difference between them still being at this church in one to three years and not being this, at this church in one to three years is whether or not they join a life group. Absolutely. In fact, I, I use the number six months. That Generally speaking, if you don't join a, join a life group within the first six months of, of coming, that I don't expect to see you here within a year of the first time that you visited. Yeah. You're just going to move on. <clears throat> At the same time, I think there's something important about being part of a larger body. I used to, at one of my churches, I pastored when I was in Florida, I had a little motto that I like to remind people of, we're large enough to celebrate, but small enough to care. Mm. And a lot of times what we do is we have this big church, but then we feel anonymous. Mm. You know. But there's something great about walking into a room with a thousand people and we're all singing the same song, yeah, yeah. or to have a dynamic speaker get up and bring about a sense of unity around a passage of scripture. Yeah, Those, those are fun moments. They make the adrenaline rush. They make you thankful to be part of something yes. bigger than yourself. Yes. Um, but then there's something intimate and important and, and vibrant mm. about the... And and the other thing I would say is if you're an introvert, and I would be an introvert, um, you, this may require some discipline of you to be in a small group. Yeah. Um, I say this to people who visit my small group, and I have, I have a small group of college-age students, mm. kids that are 18 to 22. And one, one of the things I say is you've got to come at least three times before you give up. Yes. Because the first time you come, everybody's looking at you and you're looking at them and you're feeling, oh, this is awkward. Yeah. And if you're an introvert like me, you're, you're just miserable. 
Yeah. I mean, I really am. I'm just miserable. Uh, the second time you come in, often you won't be the first, you won't be the newest person there. Yeah. Or you'll have connected with at least one person. So you'll sit next to them and maybe you'll offer something. And by the third time, um, you, you kind of feel regular and all of a sudden this feels normal and you yeah. enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you're an invert like me, I, it doesn't matter what I do. If I go out to dinner, if I go to a party, if I go to a Bible study or whatever, when I get done, my batteries are drained and I say, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> but, but later on I realized, no, I needed that. Yeah. And I do, I need that. I need that intimacy. God did not create us to be, uh, this hyper individualistic, isolated lone wolf. He created us to live in community. Yeah. And not only do we need intimacy, that's a great point that you made, but we also need accountability. Yes. And one of the things that small groups do is it provides, yeah, when when we're feeling down, we have that support, like, guys, it's been a rough week, and and here's what's going on. And the fact that we can be, you know, hear other people and be around other people that, that will encourage us and support us, that's great. But, man, when we're struggling or there's sin issues in our life, it, it's important that we have people ask us the hard questions. I mean— there was a small group movement, probably the greatest small group movement ever in the history of our country is this, this the history of Methodism in the South with, mm-hmm. with John Wesley. And, you know, John Wesley was a, it was a contemporary of George Whitfield, who the great, you know, the great awakening in, in American history. And, you know, the diff- they say the difference between um, Whitfield preaching in the North and Wesley preaching predominantly in the South was that Wesley um, had his his groups. He had his class meetings, and he had his 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 uh, his bands. That, and and they would ask each other questions. You know, did you commit sin this week? Where you? How did you handle temptation this week? Where did you experience God's power this week? So when you knew that you were being asked questions like that every single week, it's what kept you kept going. They both experienced great crowds, great revivals. But what sustained it in the South was the class meeting, and what sustained it was those small groups. And I think we can't dis- discount that. There's a reason why Wesley did that. And I think um, if we want to sustain all those things that that those big big room experience moments where we feel moved by God in celebration, it really gets ingrained into our lives when we're in a small room talking about it. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the other the other aspect of it too is also this is where you you really engage in body life and body care. Mm. And as much as the spiritual intimacy, the accountability that you mentioned is an aspect of it, there are going to be times that come into our lives when we need other people to be there for us. Yeah. At death, at at illness, at tragedy, you know, different times. Um, and, and you know, again, our church, you know, we may have fifteen, sixteen hundred people that would call this their church home. Um, if you and I did nothing but visited people who were sick and in stress or whatever, we would never get it done. Oh, Our absolutely. whole pastoral team could, that's yeah. all we would do. Uh, we we kind of make a joke that if you're in the hospital and, and Pastor Ben or Pastor Dan walks in, um, I hope you have your funeral plans made, you know, yeah, yeah. because <laughs> it's pretty serious. Yeah. But hopefully we're not the first people to get there. Your life group right. ought to be meeting the ambulance at the hospital or right. sitting with your wife in the waiting room or your husband in the waiting room. That's that's part of the body life. And that's what really connects you. And yeah. uh, for for me, the experience is it creates an experience 
you know, I often say this for a person to really feel involved, they've got to play together, pray together, work together, cry together. Yeah. When they've done those four things, then they feel like family. Yes. And that's, that's part of that intimacy. That's so good. Being there, mow their grass whenever they're on vacation, yeah. uh, to, you know, um, watch their dog whenever they, you know, something, yeah. those kind of things just develop those relationships absolutely. and that's part of body life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so I think the most important thing, I know we're almost done, but, but I think, each group has to find its own. Okay, what, what is what is the reason why we're doing it? At, at, at Life Fellowship? We look at those those four components in Acts chapter two of what is it that people are, what brought about the the true community of of fellowship in in the book of Acts, and and what we want to see is those four things happening. Right, that there's there's worship, there's actual engaging with God's word. There's sharing with each other's needs and, and supporting one another. And I think those are things that when that is happening, then the Spirit of God is going to work and you're going to experience community life the way God wants it to. So yeah. so here's the, uh, here's the admonition from Pastor Ben and Pastor Dan today. If you're not in a small group, get with it. Get involved <laughs> in a small group. And you, you, uh, you'll find that... Uh, your spiritual growth will um, will take fire if you do. And, uh, you know, if you're not going for yourself, go for somebody else because mm-hmm. there may be somebody else in that group who needs what you bring to that group as well. Well, as always, it's a pleasure chatting with you on Life Talks. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you'll let other people know about Life Talks. Share us on social media if you would. Like us, follow us, and uh, and subscribe to us. And until next time, thanks for listening at Life Talks. You've been listening to Life Talks. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new episode. Share this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to let your friends and family know about Life Talks. We'd love to hear from you as well, so leave a comment and let us know your thoughts on this episode or any other topics we've discussed. Life Talks is a ministry of Life Fellowship in Cornelius, North Carolina. For more information on Life Talks or Life Fellowship, visit lifecharlotte.com or you can find us on Facebook at Life Fellowship Charlotte.